Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show. It's the Bassy News Radio Show on the Bassy News Radio Network at WCOM Chapel Hill, Carborough. Don't forget, if you miss any part of our broadcast, you can go to our website and listen to the entire broadcast at uh, the Bassy News Radio Show page right at the top. You click on it. It'll show all the interviews, like my next one. Um, and you can listen and hopefully be informed and enjoy, certainly from the guests, including a guest I have on now. Uh, from Cascade Publishing House. He's a publisher, award-winning author. And, folks, you, at the end of this interview, you got to make sure we, we – I have to make sure you have his information. So he's got just articles that you could think of. I mean, It was seven of them I wanted to talk to, but I wanted to focus in on uh, baseball tonight uh, because he's definitely – uh, very informed with HBCU base, baseball in general, but I mean, he talked about uh, a lot of social issues, racial issues. We'll get into all of that as the days go on. But Harold Mar- Michael Harvey, I appreciate your patience on the line, and I appreciate you coming on as always, sir. Oh, LA, I appreciate you having me on. Give me an opportunity to uh, meet and greet new people, new friends. So um, thank you for the honor, sir. Absolutely. So. You know, we had a conversation myself, uh, you myself, and uh, and 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 Tony McLean about uh, baseball, the love of the game. Um, I know Michael Coker talks about how HBCU baseball, or, or black baseball, if you will, goes back to the 1800s, and and you know even further, you know, back in the other pro sports when you you look at the greatness and the talent that have played this game. You look at the Lou Brocks and Andre Dawson's who have been, you know, um, HBCU products have gone on to have great careers and Hall of Famers and things. Now you have uh, these series, I call them, you know, um, uh, along with the Black College Nine, who I know you work with and and, um, Mm -hmm. the other organization, uh, that are highlighting these kids. They're highlighting these kids. They're highlighting these institutions. How much, how significant is this in this era when everybody wants to shoot the three or score a touchdown for them to have like the Black College World Series? It's coming up um, in nine days from now and and, and other uh, different, you know, highlights and showcases, I call them the games, but they showcase in the talent of the players in these schools. How significant is it for this to ha- happen in this day and age? Well, it's very significant uh, for for uh, there to be this resurgent interest in black college baseball. The first black college baseball game was played uh, over at the Atlanta University Center back in 18 game between uh, Clark College and Atlanta University. Uh, and in the 1990s, about 100 years after they played that inaugural black college baseball game, um, Atlanta University and Clark College uh, merged and, and became one university, Clark Atlanta University. But that was uh, the first black college baseball game. And of course, the Southern Collegiate Athletic Conference, the SEAC, came into being uh, when Tuskegee started playing baseball in 1892. Uh, Morris Brown then came in a little bit later. South Carolina State came in. 
and then Alabama State came in. So they formed a an athletic conference to help schedule the baseball games between those two schools. And a year later, I believe in 1914, uh, they formally um, organized the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. So what is now a major D2 football conference started out as a baseball conference. That's how deep the roots run. Now, uh, why it's important for this resurgence now is somewhere in the 1990s, uh, this myth began that, well, maybe it wasn't a myth. Black kids, for for some reason, were not going into uh, baseball beyond age 12 or 13. And so the um, I think what really took my notice uh, was in the mid-'90s, I saw where Howard University had a baseball team, but majority of the kids on that team were white ballplayers, and the coach said it was because he could not recruit uh, black ballplayers. There was just not enough interest among black kids to play baseball. And so what has happened in in the um, 25 years um since we saw that phenomenal begin um, at Howard, uh, is that when you look at the face of um, black college baseball, you primarily uh, have white faces in dugouts. So uh, black baseball, black college baseball teams are comprised mostly of white players and Latino players, uh, and very few uh, black players. Uh, many of the coaches now at HBCUs or white coaches, and, of course, they recruit white players, and they also hire uh, white assistant coaches. So um, not only are black African Americans losing scholarship uh, and and um, roster spots uh, in, at your traditional HBCUs, uh, also those coaches are beginning to, to lose those spots. So... Back in the uh, about 2010, um, Jay Sokol, uh, you know, white kid out of um, uh, Columbus, Ohio, uh, had an interest in uh, the SWAC when he was a kid growing up. He loved SWAC sports, the football, the basketball, and the baseball. He particularly had an interest in baseball. He had coached baseball on the uh, collegiate level at one point. And so he started researching um, black college baseball, and he started the Black College Nines. A couple of years after he started, he uh, noticed that I had played baseball at Tuskegee, and he knew of some of, the, of my teammates, and he reached out to me. And so that is how I get pulled into uh, Black College Nine, where I today write feature stories about uh, black college uh, baseball. So for me, the, to have this newfound interest in the game is very important because um, not only in Major League Baseball are we losing black American uh, baseball players, there's 6.8% of all uh, roster spots in Major League Baseball uh, are held by uh, black Americans. Um, I think there are about 12% Latinos and about 3.8% Asian. You know, so the Asian population has really been growing in Major League Baseball. And if the trend continues, that upward trend continues, and the downward spiral of the number of uh, black Americans in Major League Baseball continues, in about five years you'll have more Asian 
players of Major League Baseball than you'll have black American players. So that's why I think it's important to have this newfound interest uh, among a variety of people in college, uh, in black college baseball. It was just joining us to talk with Michael Harvey here on the Bastard News Radio Show and the Bastard News Radio Network and WCOM and Carborough Chapel Hill. You bring up a great point, Mr. Harvey, when you look at uh, the percentages of, of black ball players uh, making up the HBCU rosters. We're not even talking about PWIs, right? We're talking HBCUs. And then you, I, I posed a question to, to Michael Coker, and I pose it to you, and I know you said, well, you got to make up the rosters, but what do you say to people who feel like, you know, HBCU baseball is sort of a microcosm of HBCUs, period, where um, they're becoming more of a melting pot, and there's some concern out there that HBCU baseball teams, just like HBCUs, will lose their identity. Why are they there? Remember why they were created and so on and so forth. What do you say to those people? How do you feel about that? Well, you know, I, I'm an alumnus of a, a HBCU, I, and I've attended two HBCUs. I, I spent my freshman year at Fort Valley State College, where I played baseball, uh, for a year, my freshman year. They no longer play baseball at Fort Valley State. Uh, um, and then, of course, I played at Tuskegee. So um, I, I'm, I believed HBCU. I love all of them. I mean, uh, when uh, on the baseball field, of course, uh, I root for uh, Tuskegee. And I root for anybody that Tuskegee is playing. I root against anybody that Tuskegee is playing. But I love all HBCUs because they they serve a significant um, uh, place, you know, in not only the African American uh, history and culture, but also in the, in the culture of this country. Um, because they were founded uh, in order to serve as an educational um, outlet for black Americans, particularly coming out of slavery. You know, our great-great-grandparents um, uh, understood one, they understood two things coming out of slavery. Number one, we've got to go find our kinfolk that's been sold off. And number two, we need to, we need schools to educate uh, our children into this new culture. And so uh, you sort of see the blending of this uh, of, of this um, uh, the HBCUs into the uh, melting pot of, uh, you know, being uh, a graduate of, um, of, of Tuskegee. I hate to see um, the pride of the Swift Growing South go that way because uh, it it serves a significant purpose in the black community, and I hope that the larger society uh, will wake up one day and and not be biased and prejudiced against people of black skin. But that day hasn't come, and 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 so so we always need home to be able to come back to. And and so also let me sort of try to dispel a myth that's sort of wrapped up in the way you frame that question, and that is there's this myth that black kids are no longer playing baseball, but they are. Right. Um, I see them every summer. 
you know, for instance, Atlanta is a hotbed of black baseball talent. You know, you have uh, the Atlanta Metro RBI team uh, is very strong. You have a lot of input from former professional baseball players who have settled in Atlanta, like Marvin Freeman, uh, Marquise Grissom, Antonio Grissom, Marquise brother who played minor league ball but didn't make it to the big dance. Um, uh, you've got Hank Aaron Jr., who's a, a uh, for the Atlanta Braves, who who is scouring uh, the HBCUs, uh, looking for this outstanding um, baseball talent. You know, and uh, and you've got this MVP tournament that is hosted by a group of gentlemen in the from in the Cap County here in in uh, the metropolitan Atlanta area. They've been doing that since uh, the turn of the century, uh, where they come together every every summer. Uh, except for last year because of, of COVID. And they bring teams in from California, from Detroit, uh, from Chicago, from uh, the Tidewater area in Virginia, um, you know, Texas. Uh, and and uh, I, I see those kids, and there's some very – there's some good talent. Now, five years ago, what I noticed about the kids playing baseball at the uh, collegiate level, they're very small players. Our bigger players were still opting for football and basketball. But in the last three years, I have seen the size of the players increase. So now you've got, uh, we have six foot three to six foot five, uh, uh, 225, 230 pound kids who are now playing baseball. And those are the, they have the physical uh, strength and stature to uh, really be impact players uh, in Major League Baseball. So uh, what I saw happening in the 1990s is no longer happening. Kids have, black kids have come back to baseball, and they have begun to come back uh, in terms of size-wise, kids that could make an impact at the the next level uh, are beginning to play this game. Uh, But the roster spots uh, at HBCUs, uh, are being taken away from them. They don't have that opportunity. And that's the other thing about this melting pot, okay? So these schools and these athletic programs were designed for kids who couldn't play at, at their D1 schools um, throughout the country, by and large. Um, and, 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 you know, so when the integration, you're probably old enough to remember when uh, the Southern colleges and universities began to recruit black players, and you you would have one or two on the team, uh, you would have one or two on the team on those northern teams and the and, and the east and west coast teams that would come south sometime uh, and play, um, you know. But but I guess in the last thirty years, um, those collegiate rosters are um, filled up now with with black uh, football and basketball players. Uh, Still, they don't recruit them to play baseball. There's something about baseball being a white man's game that, uh, like golf, that uh, blacks have not really been able to break that code and and break into um, that aspect of uh, of, of professional athletics and and also collegiate and high school athletics. I receive emails and calls from parents throughout the country uh, who live in places where they are not a large concentration of African Americans. They tell me, Mr. Harvey, what can I do? 
my son is at this high school and, you know, they don't play black kids and my he's a shortstop and they put him in the outfield when they do play him. Um, those are things I experienced as an integrator. I integrated the junior high school in my hometown. And I, I know what they're telling me happens because it happened to me in the 1960s uh, in a white setting. And, and, uh, but to hear that that is still playing, taking place in 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, I mean, it shouldn't be, but it still is. Um, you know, so I don't know that I want to see the melting pot. I, I want those, I want a, a black kid who has the, the interest in going to an HBCU uh, to play baseball, I like to see him be able to go to those schools and play and uh, perform. It almost sounds like, um, you know, what you're saying, Ms. Harvey, that, you know, we see a lot of these kids um, go to PWIs because they think um, they're going to get better exposure when it comes to football and basketball. And then now we've seen the Deion Sanders and other people trying to bring those kids back in the recruiting and then all those type of things. And in baseball, it's the opposite. You have these white kids that are trying to, they may have, may not be good enough or they may not have be able to fill a roster spot at a uh, Alabama. So they go to Tuskegee. Uh, to get an opportunity, and that does take the spot. And I don't see anything wrong with people pointing that out, um, you know, because that is, uh, again, knowing the identity and the reason why we weren't allowed, so we did our own. So I don't see any wrong with that. Let me ask you this. You can comment on that, but let me ask you this too. Um, how significant and how important is it to have that face that looks like us, either a coach or player, that are – doing really well, being successful, um, to to help in the recruiting of the kids that may be looking at a Texas A&M rather than a Texas Southern when it comes to, the, to baseball or something along those lines. I mean, you know, my sons, you know, they, you know, teams, they, they see, again, the touchdown and the three-pointer. And trying to get them into baseball, they just they're not gravitating to it. Maybe I didn't do a good job at, you know, selling the the product. But but how is the face and the talent have to shine for more kids? I know they're going that way, but more additional kids, let's say, to gravit gravitate to the sport. Uh, you know, the face of the coach uh, says a lot. Um, but but more important than the face, I, I think it well in any recruiting process, you know, when you come into a, a parent's home, basically what a coach is saying to that parent is, give me your son for the next four years and uh I'll take care of him. And 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 typically parents will will give a nod to that person who they feel is going to take care of their child for those four years. You know, whether that's a white face or a black face, it really doesn't matter. So, so, um, uh, but if you don't have the, the the black coaches and the recruiters being able to go out and, and to to scout these kids, um, you know, they, they'll never know that there's an opportunity for them to go over here. Uh, sort of like on this question about why do you have the the whites uh, who who will play in a uh, in a D1 school, D1 HBCU or even in a uh, D2 HBCU, they know that if they play um, college baseball, 
that scouts, you know, not as many at the D1 schools at the Alabama, at Arkansas, or Florida State, or Georgia Tech. Not as many are going to show up during your games, but there are opportunities for you to, to get scouted. Um, and so if you go to an HBCU, if you're a white kid and you play two years and you end up with a, even a free agent contract if you're not drafted, uh, you know, you, you've met that goal. You met, you have one step closer to that dream of playing, playing Major League Baseball, you know. So they will, um, will forego the fact or overlook the fact that this is traditionally a black college in order to, to go and play baseball. Uh, and they're only on campus to play baseball. You know, that's not part of the of the culture, the social fabric of those schools. And the other kids probably don't even know they're on campus. And that whole world is between the dormitory and the place where they have their get their meals and the uh, baseball diamond for their workouts. Um, you know, so um, I, I'm just uh, uh, maybe it's because I was I was uh, educated at an HBCU, uh, and I can't. Maybe I, there's a bigger picture out there that I can't see. Um, but I I just know that those schools. Uh, serve a particular purpose. You know, Tuskegee came about. We often hear that Booker T. Washington was the founder of Tuskegee. Well, that's a myth. That's not true. Tuskegee came about because in the election of 1880, there were two white Democratic state state legislators, one uh, who represented Macon County, Alabama, in the House of Representatives, in Alabama House, and one who represented uh, his district, senatorial district, covered Macon County, Alabama, uh, in the in the uh, Alabama Senate. And so, as you know, coming out of slavery, blacks voted Republican because that was a party of Lincoln. That was a, and the Republican Party pushed um, the abolition of slavery. Um, you know, so that so um, that's where the votes were going. And so these two legislators didn't want to be replaced. They saw the, the Republicans coming to steamroll Macon County, Alabama, where Tuskegee uh, University is located. So they went uh, to the, a, a, a businessman who had a shop, a black guy who had a shop on the town square. He was a mulatto. He had grown up in his white master's house, and he learned Latin and French and geometry and, and so forth when the, the tutors came by to tutor his white sisters. And, of course, he had the reins to run around the plantation, and he would go over and see what the blacksmith was doing and, and what the guys who made the collars for the horses were and the mules were doing. He learned all those trades and such his own shop after slavery. So when they came to him to buy his vote, they said, well, what do you want in exchange for, um, for uh, your support? And he said, well, the children in Tuskegee need a school. And that's how we get the famous Tuskegee Institute that has educated, you know, hundreds of thousands of people uh, in the world since 1881. That's mm. how it came about. Because uh, Lewis Adams understood that that this next generation of kids, the second generation of kids since enslavement, needed a school to be educated to be able to deal um, in, in this American society. And most of all of the schools during that period of time came into being 
for the same reason. Black kids needed a school because, you know, it was against the law during slavery time to um, for for a black person to read. And even if you were caught teaching a black person to read, you know, that white person would be punished. You know, so, um, you know, so these schools serve a very special and unique um, place in American culture and history. And uh, we should never forget that. And, and we should never tarnish um, those, the, the reason those schools came into existence. Although I know the world has changed. We're not in 1880. The world is, a, is changing and it is ever changing. And we are at an inflection point right at this moment, depending upon what happens in Minneapolis, um, Minnesota, in the next few days. Um, you know, but, uh, it, uh, uh, yes. I was going to say, Mr. Harvey, just uh, <laughs> I to sit here and listen to you historically and, and in terms of how you you shape the narrative of, uh, in particular, you know, how the schools and, and even your alma mater uh, came came about, of course, a uh, uh, post-Civil uh, War, of course, uh, what you're talking about in 1880. Um, it, it's it's funny you should mention that with uh, George Floyd and then, of course, the other um, murder, right, of, of mm-hmm, Deontay, right. and there in, in Minneapolis, baseball jumped in the fray by taking the all-star game, major league baseball, of course, taking the all-star game away from Atlanta. Uh, this is the year they wanted to celebrate. And of course we'll continue to, to celebrate. I think the, the greatest hitter of all time, Hank Aaron. And I mean, mm-hmm. uh, arguably, um, and they said, you know what? And I said this with Tony and I, and some other people were talking about like, you know, um, some geeky guys or someone who's doing the math and doing the numbers and looking at it from a broader scale said, we need to be proactive for or against this thing. And they decided they're against it in terms of staying in Atlanta, playing this all-star game and moving it based on the climate of the, the voter suppression, if you will, there Mm -hmm. with Stacey Abrams and everything that's going on in, in your state of Georgia. So, was 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 baseball right to do this um and how impactful it is i know i've had some people on said you know it's going to hurt minority businesses and all these different things which you can debate but uh, are they are, are they right in in putting their foot into this thing and I mean, we've seen this all the time, Juan, uh, John Carlos and the Olympics. and I mean, Ali, we can go on and on. Sports has always been a microcosm in being involved with social change. So w- what say you about what baseball did? They did the right thing. They did the right thing. Who spoke out against it? What player on the Atlanta Braves uh, spoke out against Major League Baseball removing the game? But Marvin, um, Marvin, who's the first baseman? I can't, you know, his last name eludes me. He spoke out. Right, I knew. Mm-hmm. Guess what? How many black players, how many black Americans are on the Atlanta Braves baseball team? 
And by the way, the Braves put out a statement after baseball, too, I'm sure you were familiar with, that really was very lukewarm. And, and a.k.a., we, we didn't appreciate this, we don't like it, right. our fans didn't put that kind of thing out. Right. They have no black players. They have no African-American players on the Atlanta Braves baseball team. When I tell you that they are 6.8%, those are about 18, excuse me, 19 to 18 numbers, 6.8%. I don't know what it was in 19. 20 was, you know, a different year uh, because of, of, of COVID. But in, 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 19, in 2018 numbers, that was 6.8% black Americans in Major League Baseball. Atlanta has zero. They have about five uh, Latino players, and they are very good young players. I'm not taking anything away from the Latin players. You know, um, I, I have participated with the Atlanta RBI. We, we've taken uh, kids from Atlanta uh, and equipment from Unzuno to Puerto Rico in order to support uh, baseball in Puerto Rico. You know, so I, I'm not, I don't have any problem with, with Latino players coming here and playing the game and making money, but black American players ought to be in the league too. But basically, baseball did the right thing. Now, we talk about it's going to hurt minority-owned businesses and black businesses and blah, 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 blah. Well, uh, progress does hurt. When you stand up for what's right, it does hurt. I mean, in order to get the Voting Rights Act, John Lewis took a blow to the head. Hosea Williams took a, a blow to the head. Amelia Boynton took a blow to the head. Martin Luther King Jr. took a bullet to the head. That hurts. So there's always pain involved. There's always hurt involved when you get out to do what's right, to improve the condition. So we all have to be willing uh, to make the sacrifice. Those people made the, made the sacrifice in order to change that uh, segregated system that we have been under since uh, 1890, 1896. So it hurts. And, and, so and to, to, people, your point, to your point, I was going to say to your point, Mr. Harvey, you can continue, that whenever the oppressor is um, exposed in a manner of this, um, we always told to stand down or let's work through the system, or whatever, whatever. We always got to acquiesce in these type of situations. Baseball, no different. And as you said, it's it's no surprise, zero surprise, that the Braves would take this stance. It's shocking, though, that in a year of their greatest ball player passing on, that they would even come out like that. You know, you don't even have any yeah. black ball player that to our, our our cousins, you know, our brown cousins. Uh, I get it, like you said, I, it's nothing against them. But if you don't have any black ball players and your greatest player was black that just passed on, why would you take a stand like that? It makes no sense. No, what's up? And it's important for 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 us when I say us for for black Georgians to have this right to vote. I mean, the, the the Republicans have been rough, running roughshod over this state and over the uh, freedoms 
of black Georgians for the last 21 years. They came into power in in, in 2000, and uh, the state has not been the same since. You know, they, they whittle away at everything, and, and they tax you. Um, every year they go into session, they're raising taxes, making it more difficult for the for the average Georgian uh, to live comfortably. Uh, you, you know, and so last year and also in January of this year, you know, the, the black electorate looked at the system. You know, so Stacey says, here's the system. Here's a way that you can vote. Um, and, and you don't even have to leave your home during the pandemic. And so taking the rules as they existed, you know, black people outvoted the conservatives in this state and uh, elected two Democratic congressmen, something that had not been done um, in this century. You know, so, so, um, so, uh, you know, I, I applaud Major League Baseball for taking the game away. I wish the game was here, particularly, you know, that could, that would, I'm sure would have been a tremendous uh, tribute to Hank Aaron during the uh, All-Star game. Um, right. but it'll come back when Georgia, when Georgia comes back to its senses, you know, then we'll get these opportunities. You know, you've had, had uh, Will Smith and Apple, uh, who was doing a movie with Will Smith, uh, they pulled out. They announced last week that they would not make that movie here in Atlanta. You know, so that's the first one. Now, you know, Tyler Perry, you know, he's got to step up. He's got to step up. And, uh, and I'm getting, and I'm, I am, and I'm getting emails, Mr. Harvey, not to cut you off, the people are uh, saying, you know, well, tell that to, you know, the, the person that owns a business around the baseball field for the all-star game and listen i i'll just for, for me i i get it as as a broadcaster trying to you know present this on my own i get it um but i but i also have said for years on and off the air mr harvey that at the end of the day you got to look yourself in the mirror you got to look yourself in the mirror and if if you can't be we in this this a, this a game you got the one team on one side one team on the other what side do you want that's where we're at you have to choose a side um, and you know I've heard a lot of people too Mr Harvey said that baseball will be hit hard with this the the backlash from the fans those fans they put fans in quotes white fans I'm sure they say that are going to be you know, this is Colin Kaepernick all over again, maybe to a lesser degree. But but do you think they'll take a hit like that? And if so, you know, I mean, they're standing on – they might be doing it because it looks good and, you know, it's the climate, but at the end of the day, it's still the right thing to do. Well, you know, the baseball's clientele is a white clientele. You know, you have – going back to the numbers again, 6.8% of players – or, or black American players, so so black Americans are not going to baseball. They're not going to the baseball park to watch Major League Baseball because they don't see people who represent them, who look like them, on those clubs. Uh, you know, where you have large uh, Latino communities in uh, in these urban centers throughout America, they are going to the ballpark because they are cheering on their countrymen who are out there playing it, and rightfully so. 
you know, so, uh, yes, baseball may take a hit. But I think one thing Major League Baseball and all professional sports learned uh, last year is that you, you don't really need to put fans in the stands in order to continue to make your money. All you really need is for television to continue continue to uh, broadcast, and so you make your money on the the television revenue, and that may be where the game is going anyway. Uh, if, if you notice, so a few years ago, the Atlanta Stadium they moved out of downtown Atlanta into uh, Cobb neighboring Cobb, Cobb County, just right just across the uh, city limits of Atlanta into Cobb County. Uh, and so the stadium that they left seated, I believe, 55,000 people. And the stadium they built in Cobb only seats 41. So so that's the trend. They're not building these uh, monstrous uh, stadiums any longer where they want to pack in 60,000 folks because they realize that you don't need 60,000 to make your money. You you know you've got your merchandising that can be sold online these days, and um, uh, and your television revenue revenue, so you don't have to pack a bunch of people in the stands. So yes, uh, some people will not go, but that's not going to hurt the overall business of baseball. And I'm pretty sure that the commissioner, um, you know, crunched the numbers because he he knows just like you and I know that black Americans are not on these teams. And so the fan base that that he is supporting, um, they're not on those teams anyway. So the right. people who come out to see the game are white Americans. So there is a potential that they will lose some money there. But I think Major League Baseball, as, as the NBA and, and the soccer leagues uh, have learned, is that um, – you know the money is the the money can really be made in the future uh, on your television revenue, and that you don't necessarily need to pack people into the stands in order to um, have a su- successful uh, business franchise. And you know, I I don't care what people say about the people who have businesses around the stadium. We all are in this state together. So if the if the government is going to infringe upon my right to vote. And, and which which means that there are things that I, as a senior uh, Georgian, may not get because they will vote against what's in my best interest, and that people who uh, would probably look out for the things that I'm interested in can't get in power because they don't have the votes to get there. I'm sorry. We all are going to have to suck it up and suffer a little bit. And, and you know, you know, the thing is. It really don't last long if if we stay united. We can overcome this. You know, the governor is going around saying, oh, it's going to hurt minority businesses. Does he really care about minority businesses? Just like whoever's writing the email, whoever's writing those emails, you're supporting what, what, what the governor of the state of Georgia is running around telling folks. Because he wants you to vote. He wants you to put pressure on Major League Baseball to bring that game back. And so that other businesses don't leave either. But, but you know, about 100 corporations here in the last week or so have met and discussed uh, this voting rights thing in Georgia, and they are, they are in lockstep. They are supporting the move of Major League Baseball. 
they are also uh, working to see what they can do um, in, in, in order to create a legislature and an executive branch in Georgia that will do away with this voter suppression. You know, so, yeah, yeah. people are going to hurt if we all just suck it up and stay unified. It'll, it will win. We will win. And so just think and, about all the money you're going to make when it comes. When, 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 the, when, when the game comes back, it'll, it'll come back here. So Georgia straightens up Major League Baseball because they took the game away. You know that one of the first places that they're going to bring that game uh, once the, the, the state uh, changes this law, they're going to come right back to Georgia. They didn't want to take it away. You know, so, right. so then just think about how much money those people are going to make over there. And although I won't be making any of it with them, I'm going to applaud it, and I'm going to say, you know, you all deserve it, and I'm just so happy for you. But right yeah, now, and then, you I, know, know it, I, I'm going to pray for you right now because I, I think you just need to be be strong. Right, and it's a win-win-win for baseball. I mean, they 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 look on they on the right side of of righteousness, um, and they still will, you know, support Hank Aaron, like you said. Um, or um, honor him. They'll bring it back, and then where you know they move to another uh, city to play it. That city is excited. So I, I think pro sports in general, and the, the colleges, of course, they make a zillion dollars. They they got it right. It's not about not playing. It's about playing in the midst of COVID. They got a template now, like you said. It's that's all that is corporate sponsorship and everything. They don't need butts in the seats anymore. It's just about if you got mm-hmm. you the, the corporate. Listen, I'm a Yankee fan, and the Yankees, the, the daddy would spend out of the wazoo. The the kids are like, wait, we got the merchandising, we got MSG, we got this, that, and the other thing. We don't have to spend that much, and if we win, fine. If if we don't win, we still making money. So it's, I mean, the small markets do it all the time. I mean, it's a different subject, but I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's where you're you're right about how um, the sport in particular is going. Why pack it with sixty where we can get forty in, get our corporate sponsors? We ain't got to worry about attendance. We still gonna make our money anyway. That's all the lovable losers have done anyway. They ain't try to win. They just want to get all the money they can from the corporate sponsors in the box seats and things. So, you know, before Boost, our phone bill was obscene. So we switched to Boost and got lines for the whole family with unlimited gigs for a much more family-friendly price. It's nice to have a phone bill that doesn't require parental controls. Your family deserves better. Get four lines for only $25 per line, each with unlimited gigs. Plus, get up to four free Samsung J7 perks with six months of Hulu where you can stream all the shows everyone is talking about. All on the super reliable and super fast nationwide network. Boost makes it easy to switch. Switching makes it easy to save.
It's the best of news radio show on the best news radio network. WCOM in Chapel Hill. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We appreciate you checking in. As always, uh, if you're uh, listening on Blog Talk or, or watching on StreamYard, we thank you. 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Press 1 to get online. Uh, we thank you. Chat room is open as well. Always hit us up on Facebook at Pad Nation or Twitter at Pad Nation 2. That's the number two. So Pad Nation 2, want to go to my guest patiently online. Really appreciate him hanging tight uh, uh, with us. He is, of course, one of the best um, HBCU uh, historians and, and best-selling author, uh, bringing him in to talk about his new book, uh, one of many, but his new book, uh, The Black College Sports Encyclopedia, uh, HBCU Football History. He is Fred Whitted. Fred, I appreciate your patience on the line, man. I hope all is well with you, sir. All is well. The storm, seemingly the storm has passed us by. It's sprinkle rain, no thunder, no lightning. I slept through most of it, so I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, what are you going to do? I mean, it's it's we we're getting all kinds of, uh, of weather here um, in Carolina, but it 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 we we digress. We we push forward through it. Um, so this book, and then we talked about it quite a bit um, when we've had you on. I know you you really put your foot in it. Um, talk about the origin and and the the reasoning um, and the timing even of this book. Well, going all the way back, um, for those who know what Honor Dan Group is, uh, Mr. Eric Moore, who's has several, has actually spearheaded the starting of several businesses, including such things as uh, um, HBCU Game Day and several others. But he, you know, we were having a conversation one day about the fact that while I was, I was in a hotel room watching an HBC. Uh, I'm not like a SWAT game. I want to say it was between Prairie View and, uh, and Alcorn. The talking heads were talking all this noise about football, but it was a black college football. And in, in the conversation, he said, well, you know, they can't really talk about what they don't know. So we did a little research, and this was mostly pre-Internet time. So we went to some of those big, thick books and, you know, what I did, and to see what was available and sort of, you know, going through and picking out the uh, stats and so forth and profiles of guys and who coached and played at HBCUs. And this was back to late, late, uh, late, late, mid to late eighties. And by the early nineties, we had published what we thought was going to be 12 pages of information. We actually published, uh, I want to say it was like 50, 60 pages. And as it got out, people said, well, you know, is that all? Well, no, that's not all. We, you know, people start sending us information and so forth. So over the years, we've collect, we've built a collection of uh, media guides from uh, the various institutions, HBCU institutions, and people will ask me, well, how many media guides you got? All I will say is fifteen hundred, and I leave it at that because, to be honest, I, several years ago I quit counting when I put when I I had. Because of the pandemic, I had to set up my own library in my house because I couldn't go to the public library. So I put them all in bookshelves, and all I can say, it takes up the whole wall. 
So ever how many that is between media guides and other record books and article, new articles from newspapers and magazines and so forth and so on, that's how we got started. And to get to this book, it's, we, were re, we were updating the HBCU Heritage uh, Centers, or the HBCU Heritage Center, we were updating the Black College Sports Encyclopedia. And as we start doing profiles of coaches, they kept adding up profiles of players, kept adding up. So we have profiles of over 100 uh, HBCU coaches from going all the way back to um, uh, Coach Cook at Livingstone, who was one of the first, all the way to the present-day coaches in the record from um, 2019. Um, then uh, as far as players go, there are probably profiles of over 1,200 players, along with the statistical history uh, you know, who's the greatest quarterback, who's the greatest running back, who's the greatest uh, receivers, and all those kinds of things. You know, historically, it is so – I'm glad you um, not only wrote the book, but you know, the way you uh, framed it um, in terms of the vision and the reasoning uh, rationale behind it is that, you know, like the NFL – and the NBA and, and other sports, uh, HBCU players have been um, the cream of the crop. They've been, a, a lot of these sports have been on the, the shoulders of great players. So so even, Fred, when you talk about the 80s and 90s, you know you can go way back and look at some of those guys that played um, I mean, you can start with my Steelers. It's some, some players that played there. I mean, but just going throughout the the early years of the NFL when they were struggling and the, and they merged with the uh, the AFL and all this talent was there. Talk about that because again, that's a prelude to where we are today and where these guys, a lot of us that look like us, are making a lot of money. Um, and historically need to know and understand where it all came from. Well, the thing you have to look at is, is this, uh, L.A., and that's simply um, HBCUs have to tell their own story. We've seen this kind of pop up in the last few months, and everybody's all hyped about Coach Prime this and Coach Prime that and the exposure that he brought to HBCUs. Well, all he all he's doing is helping expose what's already been there for the last what seventy, eighty, ninety years. Because uh, even where he went to school, Florida State, right across the railroad track was Florida A and M. Jake Gaither built Florida baseball, that Florida, Florida built Florida football into what became uh, Florida football and made it good for him. Although he chose to go to school at Florida State, well. Coach, coach. Uh, long before there was a coach Prime, there was a coach Gaither, there was a coach Mayor at Tennessee State, there was a coach Peter Robinson, and all these other guys. And the thing I always tell people is, and it's one of the things for the HBCU Heritage Center is that we have to tell our own story. Uh, there are folks out there who still believe uh, erroneously that if white folks didn't design it, then it must not be that good. Well, there was great football at the various HBCUs long before white we'd even let black guys come to their games or be on their field. Um, and 
we have to tell the story. We got to tell our own story now because, you know, people in your, between your age and my age, if we, we, we are the ones who live through portions of that story. Well, if we don't put it down, if we don't document it now, then in about another, like when your boys who are young boys now, when they get to be our age, nobody will know. So that's part of the whole thing. And, you know, we put together, uh, and the reason we this book actually focuses on football was it was just so much, it was too much good information to be left out. So what we ended up doing was splitting it up. Uh, we're working on women's basketball right as we speak. Uh, before I go to bed, I probably put another two or three hours on that tonight. Then we're going to go back and do men's basketball. And it will be individual books, but, you know, the whole thing behind the HBCU Heritage Center is to have a place that we can display all this information, have a place where we can display the pictures do a, and do uh, do a an exhibit on each of the 100-plus HBCUs that ever existed. Then we got to go into the various sports. But it all boils back down to we have to tell our own story and see you know, you you were aware that Coach uh, um, Bobby Bond passed away about this time last week. Well, you right. know, it, you know, Coach Bond is one of the last of those coaches that came up under uh, Coach McClendon. Because uh, I'm searching around now just to see. I think most of those from that from that, from that era, you know, those guys are gone. And so there's no picking up the phone, send a crew out to interview them, and all, all that's over now. So it behooves us, you know, and then same thing with the uh, the O.J. Gaither um, and uh, Coach Bill Bell and those kind of guys who, who built Florida football, those guys are long gone. So what does that leave us with? We need to put, we need to document it, publish it, document it, and then put it in a place uh, where it can be honored and reviewed. And so that's what we're working on doing. If you're just joining us, we're talking with uh, Fred Woodard, uh, just wrote a, a very good book, The uh, a Black College Sports Encyclopedia. This is HBCU Football History uh, uh, by Fred Woodard here on, on the Bachelor News Radio Show, the Bachelor News Radio Network, and our friends at WCOM in um, uh, Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina. Fred, so I, I want you to uh, also uh, uh, talk about the this I don't know if it's a phenomenon or it's just maybe a phase or maybe it's to come. You talked about, you know, Dion, we've seen Eddie George go to Tennessee State. We've seen other uh prominent uh black athletes go to different uh schools uh to help recruit for that institution, but certainly um Gratefully bring back, you know, the five-star guys, the, the, the days that we loan for where, you know, the, that, that blue chipper puts on a hat and says, I'm going to FAMU or wants to sell state rather than Florida State or Wake Forest or something. You know what I mean? So um, is this a trend where we see these famous people coming in and they're bringing their name and um notoriety to, to try to, to uh, attract the top talent and, and bring it up, which brings a lot of money. We just saw um, A&T uh, 
make a, a record amount of uh, fundraising money uh, most recently. But is this the trend that we're going to see? If so, do you think this is going to, to kind of help uh, in terms of bringing the talent back to uh, our schools? Well, it may it may help to some degree. Uh, it all boils down to, uh, okay, name a coach, any coach at any school. What made those coaches was not only the fact that they had, may have developed a name or had a name coming in, because in a lot of cases they had to build their own name, because Jay Gaither was an assistant at, at Flamu before he became head coach. Uh, Eddie Robinson was a 21-year-old guy working at a mill before he became coach at, at Gremlin. The reason we know Jake Gaither, the reason we know um, Coach Rob, Coach Gaines, whoever you want to name, was because was one because they bought, uh, they built their program mostly from scratch, and then in building their program from scratch, they produce quality. That's what's important. One of the things that I, I, I kind of glanced at the uh, at the uh, page where we have the coaching records, and there are several guys on there who are former HBCU players or former PWI players who came had good records in the in the NFL, those kind of things. But the reason why either they stayed or or were let go or whatever was did they win that's what's important uh people got a little blown out of shape for me it was, it was rare in and i like say my my first assessment of, of the prime years was this if he can coach he can put together a staff that can coach he can bring in all the blue chippers he wants if he can't coach and we've seen coaches who who had a myriad of Coach of of, of um, quality players at all levels, but if they can't take that and translate that into W's instead of L's because they don't have ties anymore, if you can't promote, you can't project that forward to become W's instead of L's, wins instead of losses, then you up the creek, and you 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 will become this part of this fraternity they call ex coaches, former coaches used to be a coach, and that's what's important. As far as, you know, with the, with the A&T thing, with them raising that $180-plus million, that was because of efforts that A&T put forth over the last every how many years, and it culminated under Dr. Martin, who has, who has been a, an icon of sorts um, at A&T because, I mean, he's doing, to be honest about it, this is a case where one of their own came back as a as a president slash chancellor and took what he found and made it better and then went out and had people invest in it. That's all that's all that any of any of these people are going to do. So that's what's important when it comes to these football and uh, basketball programs, whatever they may be, because as, as you as you know, football became a, their stand return as their stand up. Um, program along with track and field, they've exploded on the, on the national scene. Their women's basketball team is doing better, thanks partly to my homeboy up there, Coach Rob, another Coach Rob. And the basketball team was doing well until they got you know hit by the COVID bug. So 
the biggest thing that, that, that that's happening and has to happen here is that our schools got to tell their own story. We have to tell the overall story as well as tell the story of the individual institutions. If we would do that, uh, then because, see, you know, one of the shortfalls of even with getting people to give 180 plus million dollars. One of the shortfalls in that is okay. They will give they will give money, and they know the story. But then, are they, you know, are those the parents of children who are going to be going to school? That's going to want to know uh, if this is uh, say, A&T has, you know, if, if anything in the tech field, they're pretty much up out front end because it's part of their whole regime is to be agricultural and technical. Are they building their agricultural school because there's a shortfall? Uh, for agricultural schools in general, and then as HBCUs especially, but there's some still out there, part of the old land-grant system. And then you have to look at, okay, just down the road you got Winston-Salem State. They're big with nursing. They're big with uh, uh, any kind of uh, the rehab and uh, uh, all those sorts of things with sports medicine, sports management. You know, I, I jokingly tell people we have more people in, in the NFL, NBA, in uh, other professional sports, including uh, uh, NASCAR, because, you know, it has a NASCAR curriculum, management curriculum there. So they have more people in those than they ever had in, in the pros in football or the pros in basketball, even though we have a Hall of Famer. What's important, though, is to get people to understand that when you go to, to the uh, – uh, Go to the various games. You know who's behind this. You know you see you see uh, Stephen A. But you know Stephen A. has made more money as a broadcaster and a journalist than he ever would have made as a basketball player. Although he was on the basketball team playing for one of the all-time great coaches. Yeah, I, Stephen A. is uh, <laughs> is not one of those. Uh, people that I really want to uh, appraise. I think he was a little disappointed that he didn't get the, get the, the playing time um, when he was with uh, Winston-Salem with State. Not well, always saying that the nicest thing. Well, actually, you know, if you know the whole story, Stephen A., when he came to Winston-Salem, he had two bad knees. He he got he got his scholarship to Winston Salem basically because uh, one of the guys who who discovered him recommended him to Coach Gaines and Coach Gaines honored his word. He said, "Send the, you know how those old coaches were. Send that boy down here. I take care of him." And that's what he did. In spite of the fact that Stephen A. showed up with both knees bad, he made him pursue the academic. You know, Coach, he probably wrote more papers for Coach Gaines than he did for his own his own instructors. And hmm. Coach Gaines opened a lot of doors for him. And see, that's see, that's the side that most people don't understand about um, people like Coach Gaines. You know, some, something as simple as you know, Coach Bond just died. I bet you on the key on Coach Bond's key ring, he still has the key to Coach Gaines' house because they were friends. And they had keys to each other's house. And see, those coaches like that, they looked out for a lot of players who were marginal uh, or whatever. They, you know, you hear them brag about such certain ones who were, you know, dynamic players 
And, you know, if you know, again, if, if you know the whole story, Earl Monroe, as great as he was, was not Coach Gaines' best player. Right. Right. And, but that would turn out to be the Hall of Famer that, that uh, you were you were mentioning. Um, b- before we get back to, to the book, Fred, uh, we, we, we talked about how uh, HBCUs have been represented um, over the inception uh, of the NFL as we talk about football, but they have sort of baseball numbers. Like they, they have, you know, baseball, our previous guest was talking about going, they've digressed like to like, you know, 19th, 20th century type numbers. And I, this particular draft, and I know people try to blame it on COVID and all this other stuff. The numbers went down from last year. I believe six or seven guys got drafted, if I'm not mistaken, at D, uh, at the FBS, at the D2, and even D, D3 uh, look. And, you know, we may have some undrafted um, free agents that will make some squads out there too. But, you know, two things, COVID affected everybody, but we know that, in these cases, I know the NFL wanted to do this whole HBCU draft, and it got wiped out because of COVID. But if you if you're going to invite all these kids there, then then they should have been on display even after the fact that they didn't have the HBCU uh, draft. So I think it's a, an, an excuse. And then the second part of it, would how do you feel about the NFL and and maybe other sports? Uh, dedicating drafts and situations where HBCUs could be highlighted. Is that something that, again, just like the these famous uh, players coming back to coach at these schools, is that something that will um, help additionally in terms of the exposure for these kids? Uh, the nicest way I can say this is this. The, HD, the, the, the HBCU situation is not going to get better until more HBCU people get in the front offices and or even to black players, black people get into the front offices of NFL and NBA um, uh, instant, uh, teams and, and organizations because this, is, this isn't like it was – I graduated in 19 from high school I and mean, college in 1975. Okay, there was no internet. You know yourself. You can sit at your house and watch 10 games at one time, basically, depending on how many teams games are on, if you want to. So, and my whole thing with the uh, NFL is, if they wanted to, they could easily approach and get film and all this other stuff today so easy. All the stuff they you know, used to be, well, we don't have no film on so and so. Well, you know, Mr you know, Mr Mr. Bachelor, your son was probably great, but you know, we don't have no film on him. There's that's not an that's not even a a valid excuse anymore. Why? Because it's so easy to get film. You know, you can down you know, you can you can download and splice over and all this all this other stuff with technology. And nobody has better technology than the NFL and the NBA. So that's a mute excuse. The, the bigger problem that we have with the NFL and the NBA is they don't, they don't really they don't want to pay for um, an Air McNair, 
he was an anomaly. Well, you know, and, and see, and we go back to Air, somebody like Aaron McNair, as great as he was coming out of college, he had broken almost every possible quarterback record there was. What did it? What, well, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't have good film. We don't have good film. Or well, who is he playing against? Well, you don't say the same thing about Terry Bradshaw, who came out of the same kind of setting, because he, because I think at the time he came out of college. In the 70s, I think the school he was going to would, would be what we would call today a Division II school, but he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think it was South, Southwest Louisiana or something along those lines. I can't remember. Precisely. But they, they went out and found him. Okay. You know, Bill, Bill Nunn was partially responsible for him like he was responsible for people like L.C. Greenwood, uh, uh <laughs> Even uh, even to uh, me, Joe Green, you know, he was responsible because he went. He knew he knew enough about those little schools out there in the boondocks because he went out there and found them. Uh, there were other people back in the day. They went out and found these guys because they were willing to go to quote see that those colored one of those colored schools play because they saw and, that. And, and um, Fred, if I could just uh, jump in on, on that. Even in even when they show NFL films, and they show the black ball players. It's from the the PWIs, the you know the um, Dorsets from Pittsburgh, or they'll show the Gale Steers, or they'll show the OJs from USC. They give more credit I've seen lately uh, to Paul Bear Bryant having a game against uh, USC, where USC kicked their tail uh, the first time in Alabama. That that just opened up the floodgates for, you know, all these black well, players. It, like, where have they been? It's, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just another portion of that thing that, that I keep saying. This is why we have to tell our own story, because you know, think about it. Now, I think Shannon Sharp has been replaced as the all-time leading receiver at the at the, uh, at the tight end position, Savannah State. Division two, Shannon Sharp. Uh, Walter Payton has been replaced as a leading career rusher, I think, by Emmett Smith or whoever it was. But, you know, Walter Payton from Little Jackson State, which had – now, here's what – you know, you, know, you want to you question the validity of, uh, 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 of, of, a, of the school he played for, but remember, Walter Payton was on a team with two other Hall of Famers at one time at Little Jackson State because um, Jackie Slater was blocking for him, and um, the then the, uh, he just got voted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, but he played linebacker. They were all teammates. You know, three Hall of Famers on one team at one time. Not to mention um, another, the fourth Hall of Fame who was already in the who was already in the league when they came along. But see, this is this is a part of the of the story that's not accurately told by the media because hey, we don't want to even you know we don't even want this to look so good even with Coach Prime there because hey, we we have been telling this same lie. Or 
not telling the whole story all along. So here we come. Oh, they had that school, that little school down there on Lynch Street has four Hall of Famers. Well, that's equal to Morgan State in Maryland. That's equal to um, Gramlin. You know, one of, one of the most shameful days that there ever was was the fact that, you know, you had people like Bob Hayes barely was, was, was barely made it into the Hall of Fame before he died. You know, and there's so many of those. And then you got people like Elsie Greenwood out there who's had – who was the other person on the on the out of that um uh, uh, group that came into the to help build the Steelers, he's still not in. And you know, you, you got people in and, and you and you see you you have like South Carolina State had uh, Harry Carson and um uh, the, the gentleman that played for the for the uh, Steelers were on the same team. Now, oh, you know, yeah. You know, you got two, you got, you know, we're going to question, we're going to question the quality of, of play, but then these schools got two Hall of Famers on the team at one time. You know? Yeah. So that's why, it's, that's why it's, it's still, you know, that's why it's so important that we tell our own story because other folks are going to tell the story they want to tell. And, if we don't do something to, to you know, doc, you know, my whole thing was if we don't do something to document this right now, because, see, I served on a committee years ago with Coach McClendon, and he's been gone 20, this, this makes 20, 21 years. And, you know, he he and a couple of other people basically dragged me kicking and screaming into the room and showed me what they were looking at doing, and we just had never collected enough information. Now we got it. But, see, we have, um, you know, I've had people talk about, you know, going to the uh, museum in D.C., and I and I asked them several questions. Because they said, why would you want to build a separate place? Because they, as good a job as they're doing, one of the things they're, they're leaving out is a lot of the story about HBCUs because, you know, Yes, they have Martin Luther King. Yes, they have Jesse Jackson. Yes, they have some of these other people. But we have a sports story that that has never truly been told, and it's just now being told because that's what this book was about. And, you know, when you look at it, uh, just speaking about that, it, it's, it's upon us that in the media um, and also as parents, right, and also who, like you, are alum to tell those stories. Those are three different areas that didn't have to be sports. If you were on campus and knew Walter Payton was great when you were at Jackson State or Shannon Sharp, you know, at Savannah State, then you got a story in itself. I mean, the legend was there on campus with you. People were talking about those, those players. So I think even if you didn't play the game, you still heard about the the, the, the guy and and the, the ladies out there, of course, the women uh, about the game as well. So with the book, um, Fred, it, it's so important. We were talking about this 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 book, Black College Sports Encyclopedia. What do you want people uh, aside from the obvious when they go through it? What do you want them to know about it? What do you ultimately want the book to 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 be in terms of the impact? 
Well, the, the, the ultimate impact is this book is going to be used to design a museum slash archive that uh, tells that story that every, that too many people don't know, and it's right there in front of them. Uh, it, we, 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 we've had great history among black folks. And then, you know, it's like, it's just like okay, if you, if you, I know, I think you grew up in the, in the North, but if you grew up in the South, you know, you come down to meet your aunts and uncles and get around them, that group that's in the South, and they start telling those stories about so-and-so, you know, in, in the community. This was what that book does, because the book tells us about the, the great coaches who built Florida football, for instance. Florida, you know, Florida and them had nine national championships, including the one double A national first one double A national championship before any of the other big schools in Florida ever won a single national title. You know, you're talking about nineteen seventy seven versus nineteen eighty three when Florida State I think Florida State or Florida won their first one in nineteen eighty three. Well by that time Coach Coach Gaither had retired and his one of the guys who followed him, um Rudy Hubbard won the uh, the one double A championship, and these are the kind of stories that are, are 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 told in this book, along with profiles of individual players. There are hundreds of great players that are identified in this book, along with over a hundred um, coaches and their records. You know, and you know there's there's all kinds of things because because see, Tennessee State produced several quality quarterbacks, although they never got a full chance in the NFL. Um, but then you, the people need to know who Coach Merritt was because as Coach Merritt, you, you had several, including uh, uh, the quarterback for the uh, guy who quarterback before Terry Bradshaw became the starting quarterback with the uh, Steelers Jefferson, uh, Jefferson Street Joe was right. the starting quarterback. Yeah. And so, and, you know, and even you know, you, you, people talk about quality staffs. Nobody to this day, in my humble opinion, nobody in, his, in, 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 in college football or basketball have the, the kind of quality in their coaching staff that Coach uh, Merritt had, the Coach, um, Coach Rob had down at Grambling, and Coach uh, Gaither down, and Coach Gaither and Coach Bell had down at Florida. And see, once upon a time, Coach Gaither had 85% of the head coaches at black high schools in Florida were his was his boys. So recruiting for him was real easy because, you know, I'll pick up the phone, call L.A., L.A., what you got? I need a quarterback. Who, who got the best quarterback? I need a couple of linemen. Who got the best linemen? And he, and he had the pick of the litter, so to speak, at Florida A&M because – Florida State and Florida University of Florida and Miami. Matter of fact, Miami was so bad they didn't want you unless you were rich and white. And then until 1947, there was no um, there was no Florida football at University of Florida, at Florida State because Florida State was a Florida State Women's College. Yeah, and I I, uh, I believe it was uh, Howard Schnellenberger that won at Florida when he got there. Um, and they, they make so much about, you know, Nick Saban and his tree and Belichick and his tree. We got all these trees, these history 
of trees spread out here um, from back in the day. And, and people just don't realize it. We don't realize it. Before you go, please do let us know where we can get the book and um, if anybody wants any more information on it. Okay. It's available at blackheritagereview.com. Um, you can use uh, PayPal or the uh, um, Cash App. And it's just black, simply just Google blackheritagereview.com. It's noted as the Black College Sports Encyclopedia, HBC Football History. Well, I'm sure it's, it's, it's great read. I really appreciate you coming on to talk about it and talk about um, this, this in general. I think it's, it's, it's extremely important for us to, 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 to know our heritage and, and, and not only know it, but support it. So we'll be supporting and I'll be talking with you off air about it um, as well. Now, thank you so much, Fred. I appreciate the time, sir. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Fred Witter, he's an HBCU historian, best-selling author, joining us to discuss his new book, Black College Sports Encyclopedia, HBCU Football History. Uh, lots of history there. Uh, we just don't know it, don't want to know it, don't utilize it, don't celebrate it, don't highlight it. Not all, but, but some of us, we need to kind of get on the ball with that. It's the Bastion News Radio Show on the Bastion News Radio Network at WCOM and uh, Carborough and Chapel. to know where your family came from? Are you planning a reunion? Is your business celebrating an anniversary? Valerie Metzler, archivist historian, can help. With 34 years of experience as an archivist, preserving and making accessible documents and photographs, and as a historian researching genealogies, Valerie Metzler, archivist historian, can bring your history to life and preserve it for your children's grandchildren. For more information, email her, the M as in Mary, A-H, at key 
vmsinmary.net. That's V M as in Mary, A H at key, C O N N dot net. Or call 
to the show. We thank you for joining us. 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us, press 1, get online. Baxter News Radio show on the Baxter News Radio Network. Uh, if you miss any part of the broadcast, make sure you go to our website and uh, check out the rebroadcast at the Baxter News Radio Network dot com. Want to go uh, to the phones, bring in my a longtime friend and and uh, a baseball extraordinaire, editor and 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 chief of uh, Black Athletes. Uh, Sports Network and BASN uh, Newsroom. He's Tony T. Mac McLean, and it's a Tony T. Mac McLean sighting here. He's actually alive and and well, and made it through. Appreciate you coming on, man. Baseball extraordinaire. Yeah, baseball extraordinaire. I think that I thought that was pretty appropriate. Um, especially because we know worse, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's been a really good um, year thus far, though. Um, what four no hitters already? Isn't uh, that a record so far? Uh, what is it? Seven thirty now? Yes, yeah, four for for now. <laughs> wow, uh, this but, yeah, it's well, early they, in the you, year. Yeah, this I think this is the most this early in a long in a, in a good while. I remember. I think I want to say I know ninety one. They had a bunch. And in the early part of 2000, but for just the first, just for the, like the first month and a half of the season, that's like, you know, you know, is it safe to say the hitter, the, the pitchers are ahead of the hitters in some instances? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's been you know some talented guys that you kind of say okay, yeah, but you know you've had some surprises. There are really a, a lot of surprises. Right now, uh, if we look at the standings again, only 40-something games in or whatever it is, um, and things can change, as you know, it's this long grinding season, not just with uh, baseball but with COVID. But Boston went from last to first pretty fast. They've been playing pretty good baseball. What's been the key with them? They, they've won six of their last They're three and a half ahead of the, the Yankees in Tampa. Pitching. Pitching. Uh, the hitting has been okay. They have, you know, they're not like, you know, they're not going good. But pitching, you know, the, all the teams, the one common thread of all the surprise teams, whether you're talking about the Red Sox, whether you're talking about Seattle, or or the Giants, uh, or, or or the Royals, um, pitching. It's, I mean, all of them I think are in the top five in uh, in team ERA. And they're holding it, and they're getting enough hitting. Um, the the thing with Boston is, um, it's not just really one guy. It's been it's been a team effort with um, with Martinez, with um, Sandra Bo, uh, Xander Bogarts, um, but but no, their 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 pitching has been very 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 solid, and that's you know. That's always going to be the key. If they can now, are they going to be able to sustain it? That's, of course, the whole thing because I almost throw away the first month or so because of rainouts and, you know, in, you know inconsistent schedules, excuse me, and everything. Um, there's been some COVID things this year, but it's not, not – let's, let's be honest, it hasn't been – 
it hasn't been as big as a factor as it was a year ago because a year ago they weren't playing. So, and 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 the teams that have been out for a little while because of COVID, for the most part, it's only been in little little bite-sized portions. I mean, it's still there, but it's not. It's you know, it's it's not as um, it's clearly not as big a factor as it was a year ago. A lot of it has to do, I guess, with the vaccines and the um, the, the the less tests, the less people uh, being infected. But yeah, it's um. It's been interesting. It's been it's been very very interesting uh, to say the least. You know we've had, you know there's you know we've had you know the controversy with some of the calls. Um, I really would love to know um, what what's going on with the Angels, where they basically just said, you know, Albert, you ain't got to go home, but you got to get the hell out of here. And that's Something. where I wanted to go next, uh, Tony, because uh, I just you know. What do you? What do they? Do they think this man at his age is going to hit 500 home runs? And uh, I, they designate that Simon. I, it's, we talked about this in the past about the respect factor, and ownership doesn't have to do it. In a lot of cases, they won't. We've seen Franco go to Seattle, Harris, and all these crazy things happen. So, but Albert Pujols is is the class act of baseball, um, and I. I you know they'll rule the day the way they 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 this thing went down, and I am now a a true Angels hater uh, at this point. And and uh, St. Louis the same thing the way they they treated them. But 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 what say you with the way that whole situation went? I wish I knew more what was going on. I mean, on the surface it looks like a pure salary dump, and I get it, but. Show the man some respect. You know, this is this right. is you know, this is not you know, you're not you're not uh, release. You know, it's not like you're releasing, um, you know, for lack of a better word, Dave Kingman here. You know, no disrespect to the Dave Kingman fans, but you know, this guy is you know, his bust is waiting. And in, 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 are you really telling me that you couldn't have like kept him for a little while longer just just because he is out? I mean. It, it's it's you know at, at least allow the man to go out on his own terms. I, I, that that that's the thing. If you're gonna you know I get it. If you want to release him, I understand that. But let him go out on his own terms. Don't don't you know? I, I just wish there were. And again, the debate and the debate, Tony. I and people are like you know well it's a business decision. But we've had this decision this conversation in the past. Like some players, it's just different, man. He's one of those guys. Like you said, his bus is waiting. Some players, you have to show some some respect and homage to, man. The guy is just, and he's a class act. He's not like this controversy lightning rod guy speaking out and doing this and doing that and causing problems or alleged problems. He's a class act. Let him go out the way he wants. You know, it's it's ironic, you know, Willie Mays' birthday, his ninetieth birthday, was a few days ago and you know, right. and you know, you know, happy belated for him. And it's it's somewhat related to how he got to the Mets because it was about it was about around about around about this time when he was traded to New York. Now, yes, you know, he was he wasn't the same Willie Mays, of course, as he was or whatever, but you know, again, that that that's that's asking a lot. But 
the one thing is he always said he he always you know he was always told by giant management I would never we will never trade you we will never trade you and when they you know when they traded him he was very angry and and I was lucky enough to interview him about 15 a long time ago about 15 20 years ago at a baseball card show and he talked about that you know um he was very you know it, it put him in a very bad way. He 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 shunned the organization to the point where his jersey, you know, you know, we always know that you know that you have to have a certain uh, whatever hat you want to wear on your on your uh, Hall of Fame bust, and he he definitely took the Giants um, uh, hat. But jerseys are also displayed for the players, and for the longest time, it was a New York Met number 24 jersey that was in the Hall of Fame. Now, I had interviewed him about a few years removed after he and uh, Mickey Mantle uh, were reinstated from Major League Baseball for the, for their association with uh, Bally's, which, which seems sort of asinine compared to now, but that's a whole other story in and of itself. But long story short, basically the Giants went to him and said, how can we make this right? They literally went to him and said, how do we make this right? And he just said, let's talk. And, you know, basically he, McCovey, Cepeda, and one other player, uh, I think it was Marichal, they basically became team ambassadors for the, for the team, for, you know, basically lifelong ambassadors for the team. And, you know, he would make appearances uh, on behalf of the team. He became a member or basically became – he brought – he basically went back home, and eventually that Met 24 jersey was um, changed to a San Francisco Giant jersey. I say all that to basically say Albert in that same category with Mays and Mantle and all those guys because he is. You know, and it, it, you know, you look at his numbers, you look at his contributions on and off the field. Um, all he ever wanted to do was retire as a cardinal. Cardinal said, "Nah, nah, we ain't, we ain't having it out the door." And see, that I think that's why this stings even more because you know he's always going to be a cardinal. I'm, I'm sure, as, as 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 both of us are breathing, when his plaque is in there, it's going to be a STL on his hat. I don't, I don't think there's any um, there's any doubt about that. But I say all that to say, you know, there's a there's a better way that this could have been done, especially when now see there's already people that are saying, well, he was a bust for California. But see, here's the thing: when Albert signed with the Angels, a year later, they signed their TV contract with a uh, Fox. I think it's Fox West or whatever. This was, you know, this was around about the time when Fox was starting to do the regional uh, networks. So they basically, you know, Albert coming there basically helped helped bring up their profile. And then eventually you saw other players. Now, mind you, they had already won a World Series but before he had gotten there, mind you. So their profile was good, but it became even more enhanced when Albert got there. And then you add Trout and other players, and you know it's it's a it's a domino effect. Cause see, I look at the way the players react. Mike Trout was pissed, 
and that's why I've always liked Mike Trout because he knows baseball history. He respects the fact he realized, look, he always said he was privileged to be able to play every game in his career with a, with a, with a hall of famer right next to him. And now that was not, now that was basically taken away. And even though they gave Mike his money back in the day, he's probably saying in the background, hell, if they'll do this to Albert, I know they'll do this to me. And and think about it, Tony. You you brought up and I this is why it really hurts and I'm upset with Albert. Um because it to him twice. They they dumped him to he's got two franchises that just wanted to just you gotta go home but you gotta get the hell up out of here. And you mentioned you mentioned a, a Maze and a Tom Seaver. They, we've seen the great ones uh, get traded and you go you're shaking your head. But Albert Pujols, again, uh, I, I'm always a, a character guy, too. And he's one of those guys. You know, he played the game. I don't like to use all those cliches, but the way he's sure. supposed to be played, he was sure. – he, uh, uh, he taught a lot of great uh, – now great young players we've seen in St. Louis. We've seen with the Angels, like you said, with Trout. And I just think – and to hear people say, though, it's on him to step down. He's a ball player. Of course he wants to keep playing. How do you tell an athlete? How many athletes? Michael Jordan looked horrible with Washington. Who's going to tell him to go sit down? You know what sure. I'm saying? So sure, what are you sure. going to do with they these all, guys? Let them they look, go graceful. They all, they all, they all, you know, it's probably, we probably see it a little bit more with certain sports. You know, box, boxing comes to mind. You know, Joe Lewis came back. Ali came back, Sugar Ray Leonard came back, you know, they all came back and the second act was was never was was never as good as the first. But that's and a lot of that just has to do with the impact they had. You know, of course Willie Mays um that last year in New York, but to Willie's see, here's the thing they forget, you know, everybody remembers Willie falling in the World Series, you know, and everything like that. It was very you know, it was very, very sad to see. But here's the thing people forget. Willie Mays' last two hits in Major League Baseball won game five of the National League Championship Series and won game two of the 73 World Series. So, you know, yeah, yeah. It was embarrassing seeing him fall, but it's not like um, it's not like he went out like a, for lack of a better word, it's not like he went out like a punk. He went out, you know, with with his with his guns blazing, you know, forty two or, or or what have you, and Albert deserved that. Albert deserved to be able to at least be able to go, you know, said you know, I would have loved to have seen. I, I, and I would, they, what I would have liked to have seen them do, the day that they released him, have him throw out the first pitch of that game, or what have you, and just say you know we are honoring Albert you know, for his time here in Anaheim and and his time for baseball and what have you. To me, if they had done that little bit of a whatever, I think, okay, at least they're trying, you know, they could see at least it would have, you know, even if you felt like it was somewhat phony, they at least made the gesture. The gesture they basically showed him on the way out the door this time was just really wasn't, you know, 
as, as they always like to say, is not a good look, for lack of a better word. And he deserved better than this. He deserved a lot, lot better than this. And 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 it's a shame that um, both the organizations that he is tied into are, are that that's going to be that's how it's going to. I, mean, I I I'd like to hope that we'll see him again before the year is over with. But I think I mean let's face it, he's going to have to go to the American League because. One of the reasons why he was DHing was because he really can't be an everyday ball player at, for, at uh, an everyday fielding ball player. But um, you know, again, I, I I really wish that he had been given an opportunity to go out like a Hall of Famer should. But you know, I again I go back to the thing that's baseball being baseball. Yeah, and it's it's where you just kind of uh, scratch your head. and um, at, at a time, as you mentioned, uh, the, the great Willie Mays' um, 90th uh, uh, birthday, I, I, I want to go back to the American League East in, in just a sec because it, not only the, the, the Red Sox are playing well, um, but – if you look at the rest of the team, everybody's pretty much 500 in that division. It kind of reminds me of like how um, the, the the Knicks are in their division. Like everybody seems to be uh, all jammed up. They're playing decent. Base. The, I mean, the, the Baltimore Orioles are only a couple of games under, three games under 500 or whatever. So everybody's kind of playing ball. Are you surprised so far uh, how the East is kind of shaped up so far? Well, I mean, you know, if everybody, you know, everybody's playing in a sense, playing to their potential. I, I think the thing with the Orioles, they had bottomed out over the last two years, and and it was and it was to me, it was just a matter of allowing this team to really grow and do some things. You know, you saw you saw a little bit of it last year, even in in all of the uh, the losses and everything. When you know, when they had the hundred loss season, I think that's when it really sort of bottomed out. And near the end last year, you saw where they were, you know, showing some things. Um and again, they're getting the pitching. Uh the Dark Knight is three and one and he's coming back to uh flushing this week. Um mm. you know so it's and you know and the thing about it is, they're they they're. It, it's funny you use the Nick analogy because they're sort of like the Knicks. They're a young team. They don't. I mean, they don't really have a quote unquote grizzled veteran. A lot of these guys, I think, you know, in a sense, Harvey's the sort of grizzled veteran, and he's you know just a little over thirty himself. But um, I think with them, it's 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 just a matter of. Let's see what these guys can do, and 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 see where we can build from. Now they have got you know they have Mancini. Uh, I like um, the couple of outfielders that they have. They have they have a small nucleus. Now are they going to win the East? No, but if they can if they can let's put it this way, if they can get eighty one and eighty one. That's a, that's a to me that's a hell of a season for them. Yeah, that that's a um, real series appearance for them. The way they've no, been no, called. Yeah, 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 well, yeah but, but but it's but but it but it just show, it just shows you just how and see it's sort of like you know when the Pirates was in decline 
and when the Royals were in decline and when the Reds were in decline, it was like, wow, it's 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 a shame that all of these teams from back in the day are are are, are struggling. So it's kind of you know it's kind of nice to see the Orioles are at least um, they're holding up their end. They're holding up their end in the state of Maryland. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Harvey and you mentioned Maryland. Uh, looking at the N- NL East, of course. You got not as bad as you thought he is going to go on the DL, but um, the East so far after thirty, forty games. Nobody's. Um, I, I'm. You know, I'm going to use. I, I just. I'm just waiting for the warm weather to just kick in and finally stay warm for more than um, uh, forty-eight hours, and um, then we'll get a gauge because, you know, the the only the Mets are in first place because they swept the Diamondbacks this weekend. And because they still haven't played as many games as everybody, uh, you know, they got through their stretch where they were getting COVIDed out and getting rained out and all this other stuff, and it it, it definitely affected them. You know, um, probably uh, Lindor more than anybody it affected. But um, yeah, they dodged another bullet with Degrom, but I'm almost like maybe just you know. And I know nobody wants to do it, but maybe you just need to just sit him down for a little bit just so you can make sure you got him in the stretch run because, you know, Carrasco is still going to come back. And I guess uh, um, Bonehead Thor is supposed to be coming back soon too. So, you know, that that's what it – but that, that bullpen is being taxed. And I just don't know how long you can keep taxing them and expecting them to still be in, in the chase um, down the road. Not now. Now, granted, they're not. Their their bullpen is nowhere as bad as the uh, as the Dodgers, but it can it can get there. It can get there with with you know with um, if these guys don't go out and are not able to do say six seven innings a night. Yeah, uh, and you know that that team in the, the team in the Bronx knows that uh, full well about that as as, as well. Um, you know, as as impression, I mean, impressive as um, the Giants you mentioned have, have been. You know, the, the the Cardinals have been impressive, but more importantly, when you look at the way they else and their run differential, they're the only team on the plus side of that. They're getting the pitching. Uh, are they going to, you know, again, only 40 games or so or, you know, 35, 40 games, but it, it, can they potentially run away barring injuries in that division? I, I think it's I, – I, I'll say, what, you know, when they got uh, Arenado, I basically said, you know, it's a, it's a wrap. I think it's theirs to lose. I, um, the Cubs have been sort of up and down. The Reds as, as, as well. Um, you know, the Pirates are – you know, pirates. I think are just you know they're not they're, they're not they're not really in it. You know, as, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, it's it's the the thing is the teams that are on top or near the top. It's it's a streaky year. Remember how the A's uh, started off, and now they're starting to you know cool down a little bit. You know, we talked about the Orioles began the year by sweeping the Red Sox in Fenway. That seems like a hundred years ago now because of the way the Red Sox are playing. Um, 
finally this weekend you had more than two teams in the NL East that were 500, and it took uh, winning streaks um, to do that. So it's it's um you know we're we're at the you know we're at the we're at the streaker stage of, of the season right now where you know you put together you know a, a couple of wins you're able to put together a couple of wins uh, you're in the chase. But um it, it's funny. I'm going to sort of go with something that I heard last night. Um, Brian Snitker, for the um, the manager for the Braves, he basically said he does not look at the standings until after the All-Star break. And to be quite honest, that's probably the way to go. I mean, yes, we're going to watch now and everything, because, you know, whatever. But that's really the time when you sit back and you say, okay, what's the, you know, is this team going to sell? Is this team gonna um, try to go for you know try to try to put themselves in a position to do something or, or what have you? I mean, yes, there can be some moves made now, but I would I think maybe by the end of this month you might be able to get a little bit more of a gauge on um, who may be in this for the long haul. Um, there's only maybe. I don't want to rule anybody out in May, but there's just some teams you just look and you just say they're not, you know, you don't see, I don't, I don't see much of, of, of what they're going to do. But um, for the most part, everybody is still sort of feeling themselves out. You know, the Braves have been up and down. Um, you know, we, you know, Houston has has gone up and down. As well, all the teams we've talked about, Tony, in in the uh, off season and before the season started, the Houston's, the Dodgers, the you know uh, uh, the, the Braves that you mentioned, those those teams of the world are up and down. Like you don't, who would have thought? We've been talking about you know uh, Dodgers, Padres. Wow, Padres are there; they could make it run and hit the Giants. And, and, you, and you even said, you know, the Giants. Yeah, what, I mean, I they're streaky, like you said. Well, and see, and see the thing also, the Dodgers are a perfect example. Now, the Dodgers, you know, to their credit, Dodgers were like what? They were like, they jumped out to a quick, you know, they jumped out quickly. And then they had the bullpen issues, and now they just lost Derek May for the year. Right. So now, now, now they'll probably fill him, they'll probably fill in with Price more than likely. But see, man, is is has been a problem, and, and, and it's starting to get taxed. You know, every I swear, every time I watch the Dodgers, uh, Blake Trinan is pitching. Seems like he pitches every night. He pitches every night for them. Every time I watch them, Brett Trinan coming in from the bullpen. It's like what? I mean, I you know, but it's, good. I'm sorry. Good. I was gonna say you're right. I mean, even most of the teams, even the ones a couple hundred, five hundred outside, say Colorado and. Uh, maybe Detroit. Everybody's had some form of streak. Maybe Minnesota hasn't either, but everybody's had a, a, a decent streak at some point. Uh, so that that's sort of the theme. And you know the the Boston's and the uh, uh, as you mentioned, Kansas City's of the world, and, and some other team, the Giants, are taking full advantage of it at this point. See, and and you know, quiet as it's kept. Uh, Seattle's is is um, 
hanging in. But the the thing is with them, we've seen this before with them, and they sort of, you know, it usually winds up like, you know, unfortunately, it it, it usually winds up being um, not too pretty uh, the second half for them. Yeah, uh, um, unfortunately. If you're just joining us, talk with Tony T. Mac McLean, talk us some baseball here on the Bastard News radio show on the Bastard News radio network, WCOM. T, I want to take it to the ACC side, ACCU side, and uh, obviously we had the, uh, the, um, the college tournament, um, series uh, tournament that took place recently. Uh, no, there was a lot of... Um, uh, conversations with uh, I know H. Harvey we had him on he was talking about um, you know Bluefield State winning and we, we talked about some of the roster positions being filled lack thereof in terms of us and those kind of conversations but you know the baseball on the field itself was good baseball no surprise to us but how much did those type of series um, will benefit these kids uh, moving forward, and not just oh, to, to try to make it all the way to the, the the big leagues, but to get in the minors, get to the big leagues. It's a showcase. It's it's, it's a showcase, and see, there were scouts there, and and, and what what Ellie's alluding to is the first annual um, Black College World Series down in uh, Montgomery a couple weekends ago, which was uh, put together by one of our buddies, Michael Coker, from uh, Black College Nines and others. They played this, um, mainly it was Division II and NAIA schools, um, and they played for, for, for a National Black Championship. And it was played at the minor league home for the AAA, uh, I believe for the, the Devil Rays, I'm sorry, the, the Rays. Yeah. The Rays, um, yeah. Farm team, uh, farm team. So it gave them great exposure. All the games were online. I watched as many of them as I physically could, and it was great. It was it, it was it was absolutely great. You know, I um, I hope that this you know this is just the start. I, I I think this if um, I think because of the success, you'll see more. And there's been little small you know little uh, classics, sort of like how we've seen the football classics on the HBCU side, but not as many on the baseball side. But this was the first really big, you know, for lack of a better word, Lollapalooza in regards to uh, pushing the HBCU baseball thing. And it's great. It's great. And and look, we're biased because we're um, baseball fans and HBCU fans. But no, this is, this is, this was, this was a long time coming. This is a long time coming. And, 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 and the thing about it is everything was run well. Um, the, the broadcasts were, were excellent. With the with the announcers and everything, it was pushed real well. I made sure I put it on all all, all the uh, social media stuff that I could as well. So, yeah, yeah. I, I this is, I think it's just the start. I think it's just the start, and I and I hope that um, we'll see we'll see even more. And and I think more is definitely in the works, especially after uh, the success of this of this past event. And I get it. I'm sure most people would say it's a stretch and a pipe dream 
because of baseball, how they, they do their draft. But could you see uh, baseball setting aside some kind of, maybe call it a supplemental HBCU draft? Um, well, they, it, because no, they it, won't. It, it's, it's they actually, won't. It, they won't. Okay. But see, here's the thing. Um, I forget the fellow's name, and forgive me. Um, he was hired last year by Major League Baseball, and one of his edicts, he 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 came out and said that he wants to see more HBCU kids get uh, get exposure. He he uh, he went to an HBCU himself, and. It's in the works. And see, baseball now, baseball, unfortunately, like watching grass grow, takes their sweet little time unless they get, unless they get embarrassed or, 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 or what have you. It's not, you know, I still think that a lot of what's going to have to happen is going to have to be from, quote, unquote, non-major league folks. And that's why this that's why this event is um is important because well that's we why have... i brought it up tony yeah. i mean yeah. could you, i brought it up because if maybe if, if even if baseball's not sponsoring or sanctioning something if we can put on a black college world series why can't we have our own hbcu baseball draft well see the no. thing you know the thing well, unless you want to have, unless you want to bring back the Negro Leagues, I mean, see, to me, that's the whole. Basically, that's what it would be because if you know, base. Let's put it this way: baseball will do so much, but they're not, they're not, they're not going to completely to the HBCUs. And I don't say that to be negative. I don't say that to. I just, I don't. In, in their mind's eyes, unless they can make a couple of bucks off of it, they're not going to do it. Now, one of the reasons why. I'm 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 enjoying what what the Mike and them have done because sometimes what you got to do you know you sort of have to use the Negro League spirit in the sense of you know what let's put on our own events invite folks from the from 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 baseball to come check it out if they don't come check it out that's on them because the diff the one thing about the baseball draft as opposed to the football draft and the NBA draft. More players get drafted, and you know the sad thing is, and a lot of it has to do with numbers. There will, I, I, I can, I can definitely tell you, there will be more HBCU players that get drafted in the baseball draft than in the NFL draft. Now, a lot of that again, it's sort of an easy way out because there's more players being drafted, but it also sort of, it's it one it, to me is an indictment of the NFL, which is a, which is another two-hour story in and of itself, but I just, um, I think the more of these events that you have, I think then you'll start to see more, you'll, you'll start to see Major League Baseball sort of get shamed into, hey, we need to, you know, check out what these guys are doing. Now, again, there were scouts, there were, there were scouts from, from what I was told, there were scouts not from all the teams, but there were major league scouts uh, at this event all we all that entire weekend. So they were able to get some exposure. And I believe the draft is usually in June. And see, there's still games. See, there's still games being played. The SWAC uh, tournament's coming up. So 
hopefully the momentum that's built from this and I don't know if you know, Jackson State is uh, undefeated in the SWAC this year. Right. Uh, right. 21, uh, 31 and 8 overall, and they're going into the SWAC tournament. Now, if they, you know, conceivably, if they could win the SWAC, they could, you know, I mean, I'm not, I don't know how far they would get maybe like in the Division ones, but, you know, who knows? It would, it would be great to see. But between what the, between what the SWAC has done and with the um, – with what the Black College World Series was able to do uh, last week, it's a good way to build momentum. It's a progression. And, and see, again, this is probably the best way to do it because if you sit around, because I think, again, if you sit around and wait for the uh, for the uh, for MLB to sort of have uh, a come-to-Jesus moment, you know, there's a better chance of them having a come-to-Jesus moment. Oh yeah, definitely, and that and that was my point. I, I wasn't saying oh, no, based I, I on get, the fact that, that so many so many kids, you know, get draft. Baseball is a bigger draft, and the fact that, like you said, they you know, unless they're gonna make some, they see some some kind of cash cow a lot of it. They're not gonna get involved. So if we could do the Black College World Series, as Coker and the Black College Nines can do the uh, the World Series, then maybe we could put something together. Um, you know, uh, uh, along those lines. Um, speaking of which, the NFL draft happened. Uh, of course, no surprise. Numbers weren't good uh, from uh, HBCU uh, uh, players. Certainly guys could get drafted, at, I mean, get signed after the draft, of course. Um, but I, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do with this so-called HBCU um, football draft uh, moving forward, Tony. Well, you know, the, you know. Luckily, this year they were able to have the combine. Unfortunately, because of the spring schedule and because of you know the COVID thing, it was affected. I mean, this year, at least this year, they were able to have it. Last year, it was completely um, canceled. Strictly yeah, I meant, the com- I meant to say combine. Thank yeah, you. Got, oh, got, 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 yep. Yep. Oh, but um, the the fact that they were able to because they basically draft. I think uh, they invited like a um, handful of uh, players, and see, again, to me, the pressure is not on the HBCUs. It's on the, on the NFL because they have, to me, they have basically come out and said they want to nickel and dime these kids. Basically, as far as I'm concerned, they don't, you know, they don't, they feel it's beneath them to go out and and, and scout these kids. Now, and Tony, let me add this too. Someone that we both know, I'm not going to blast them on the air this time, but said, well, you know, these schools got to do a better job with facilities and getting them there. And that might be a little captain obvious in terms of, you know, not all of them, but that's some BS. That's an excuse not to to draft these kids. Has nothing to do with their facilities. It's uh, Look, if you can play, they'll find you. And if they can play, if they want to find you. See, here's the thing. About 20, 25 years ago, a writer from ESPN, I think it was Lynn Pascarelli, wrote an article basically saying, you know, the cupboard is quote unquote bare with HBCUs. You know, they don't they don't have 
the uh, Hall of Famers that came out back in the day. And it sort of made me laugh because, you know, the the draft, especially opening night, which I call NFL Idol, basically. The draft, you know, the draft for a lot of people, it's all about that opening night and the glitz and the glamour. But folks who know the draft, the real draft is that Saturday, those that Friday and that Saturday. That's how your team is put together. And yeah, you may get a Hall of Famer in and out of there, but you're also going to get, you know, let's put it this way. Uh, Lamont Bethea may not be a Hall of Famer. He's a damn good ball player. He wasn't a first day, right. you know, he wouldn't, you know. And a lot of the HBCU played, like, you know, Darius Leonard for the Colts, one of the best linebackers in the league. But, you know, is he a Hall of Famer? Don't, we don't know yet. You don't know yet. Robert Mathis, pretty damn good ball player. Hall of Fame, you know, Hall of Fame caliber. But see, here's the thing. They always, you know, they always want to sell. It's, it's sort of like in life. They always want to sell black folks short. But when we're not, and excuse my phrase, when we're not super niggas, then all of a sudden, you ain't no, we ain't got no use for you. Now, I, I have argued with HBCU followers and what have you. The only difference between the black schools and the white schools most of the time is scholarships. The scholarships, that's all. You know, when Steve McNair was the third overall pick in 85, first thing out of everybody's mouth, oh, we got to relearn him, all the stuff he learned in college. Why? Now, McNair was the all-time leading passer in NCAA history the day he was drafted. Not Division One, not Division I, no. all-time leading passer NCAA history. So why are you going to try to un- – why- so why would you try to bastardize him? Now, you'll, now you'll go and get a Carson Wentz and a Goff and make them out like – you know, they're, you know, going to change the way the game is played. But the way the game is played is played a hell of a lot more of the old Alcorn State offense as opposed to what uh, what those two small schools did back in the day. But, and she did – go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I'm good. Uh, I'm good. I, it, and the thing is, as you mentioned, those – you know, uh, um, those schools, those, those are nigger schools, you know, and, and Car- Carson Wentz and, and golf, when they screw up or they, they struggle, oh, it's the coaches for us, the system, they're in the wrong system. That, listen, he's had five quarterback coaches. So always the, those excuses. But at the end of the day, Steve McNair ball, the well, they should have won. He was an inch away, you know, a couple inches away. So we know how great he was. Uh, mm-hmm. But here, didn't here's what's even worse. Didn't help. Didn't help that his that his coach sabotaged him too. But that's a whole. That's a, that's another story in and yeah. of itself. Groucho Grou- Marx. But mm-hmm. listen, here's a, here's what what bothers me even more. The NFL and I was talking with somebody about this, about this, um, and matter of fact, uh, Fred Woodett, the NFL, when they do highlight 
any black ball, ball players. He's in all these other schools, right? So they even so it's not it's just it's not just the HBCU thing that they look to frown upon. It's the small, you know, not you're not the black from the big time program. OJ Simpson and all of those guys, they want to show all those highlights. Gail Sears and guys like that well, with no well, disrespect. Even, well, but well, but he, they don't, the they don't want to show these they don't want to show L.C. Greenwood, even though he helped build the steel curtain. You know what I mean? Come on now. Well, see, it's both and ways. And he still too. should be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, well, yeah. Well, again, that's, that's another, that's, that's another two-hour conversation in and of itself. There's a bunch of guys. But even when you get a Justin Fields, you still right. get the whole you – know, you still get the same old bullshit. Oh, he doesn't know how to read defenses. Oh, he's got some – That's a stretch. Issue. Oh, my God. They're taking whatever. a chance. Now, now – now, weren't they saying the same things about Mr. Hertz, who wound up being the the, the Eagles starter at the end of the season? Of course. And more than likely is going to be the starter. Now, I'm not ready. I'll go this way. I'm glad that Fields went somewhere where uh, they, they appear to appreciate him. Um. I personally think he can start opening day when you consider uh, Mitchell Trubisky and Andy Dalton and the the, the fifth Beatle, whoever is um, in, in the camp there. You can't tell me he can't start over those guys, as far as I'm concerned, just on his and- just on what he brings to the table. But you know, but see, but see, here's the thing. Also, it probably is best that he does sit out, not so much sit out, but just learns that first year because, but I just, but again, I hope, and you do get the feeling that they are sincere about making him, you know, their guy down the road because. But it, it's got to be, Tony, it, it's so, it's so blatantly obvious the Justin Fields come from a big time program they got to mold him and oh he needs it now I'm not saying you but they're, they're thinking he needs to sit to learn from Mitchell Trubisky and all the learn the system and and if he did start like you said and they lose all their games who they gonna blame anyway so there was it was it then see they'll be ready to call him a, right they'll be ready to call him a bust four games into his uh, career and then you got San Francisco, who seemed to draft this this black kid out of North Dakota State. Now he played not at a HBCU, but a small. Boy, I tell you, he's in the right system. But with uh, whatever's the get the coach's name, he's gonna mold him. He he can learn from. It's always when it's our black quarterbacks, we gotta learn or sit. But the, the, these scrubs that come and these Carson Wentz. Oh, they in the wrong program, or well, you know, they had five quarterback coaches. Always the excuse for them. Um, Always oh, the blame oh. for us. Well, well, uh, and what I say to that is, there's a Hall of Fame quarterback who went through six different offensive coordinators his first seven years of his um, career in the NFL. Uh, that guy's that guy's name Warren Moon. Didn't hurt him too much, from what I can remember. That's right. You know, he was able to overcome that. But but no, but but you know, but hey, but hey, but hey, you know, you know, what do what do what do we know? What do what, what do I know? Well, but, he, um, you know, he he won in the CFL though. Yeah, it's not the NFL. I mean, it's always an excuse. Oh sure, sure, always, sure, sure. sure. When when when, uh, but when it's a white guy, hey, the dog ate my homework. 
Right, <laughs> exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. And and dog, you have dog, to, dog, do, dog, and dog, even dog, when you ball out, one or the other. Mm-hmm. Look, even if you ball out like Deshaun Watson, he running for his life, so he ain't even got no help. So he mm-hmm. he he's super talent. Yeah. They have no yeah. help to win anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Or, or, or one of our. As one of my colleagues said, you know, like basically like a runaway slave in Houston. He's a runaway slave, it, you know? running for his life. You know, Cam so. Newton. Well, you know, it's time for him to step. You know, uh, he he really didn't learn how to throw. All this other bull to do it. You make it to a Super Bowl. You are MVP. You. It's not all coaching and everything. Put it of this course. way. Put it this way. He, you know, I I. Dare somebody tell me they'd rather have Trent Dilfer than than uh, Cam Newton? Oh God! I dare, I dare, I double, I double dog dare you to say you'd rather have Trent Dilfer's career than Cam Newton's career. And for those who don't know who Trent Dilfer, he just kind of sat back and let the Baltimore Ravens defense carry them to a Super Bowl win. He didn't do much of anything. Uh, to get to earn his ring. Meanwhile, Christ, and I keep Christ saying, sake, for Christ's sake, they replaced him with Elvis Gerbach. Ex- exactly. And meanwhile, Cam is still running in Carolina like a runaway slave. Every time that Super well, Bowl he dropped you know, back, and, and yeah. he got pounded by the defense. You knew Denver had a great defense. They didn't even prepare. The dude was running. Oh, but he's six five. Yeah. He could take yeah. the hit. Sure, sure. Hey, look, it'll you know. I, I, I say it every year, and, and we haven't even that the NFL season hasn't even started yet, and I'm already, you know, exacerbated. But um, if we can go a year without having to go through this mess with black quarterbacks and HBCUs, then maybe things will have changed. But unfortunately, the song remains the same. It's just a different tune most of the time. It's the same, you know. The very same thing they were saying about Cam coming into the league is the very same thing that they were, they were saying about uh, they're saying about Fields now, and you know now now Goff and Wentz are on their second team already. That's right. So I'm not saying I'm just saying. But it's the it was the the system. They were in the wrong system. Yeah, I mean that yeah. they just were in the wrong system. Yeah, they're great yeah, quarterbacks. Yeah. They're going to be great quarterbacks. They do sure, high football IQ and all this other mm-hmm. crap that they talk about with these these guys making excuses, you know. And then uh, they already said that um, Philly, they really need to make sure they get a veteran uh, quarterback in there because I'm not sold on this guy, you know. He 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 sent Wentz packing, but they not sold on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, 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 for the first time in a long time, I can actually say, you know what? It's basketball season. Exactly. I was going to say the same thing. Uh, uh, go Knicks. Go Sixers, of course. But go Knicks. Tony, I appreciate you, man. We'll talk next week. Thanks, man. All right, guys. Talk to you. Take care. Tony T. Mac and McLean. You can see his work at BASN uh, Newsroom, BASN.com. Uh, uh, um, and uh, check out all of this. We continue uh, here on the Bassin News Radio Show on the Bassin News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill.
this is Craig Bachelor Jr. And he's Kevin Bachelor. And this is Smooth Smooth Thing. And you're listening to The Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
so funny running into you It has to be three years since we last seen each other Many flashbacks come to mind Of the wild and crazy times we used to have with one another We absolutely didn't care We would do it anywhere contact and it was over but that's when I was wilding out I couldn't care less about someone getting hurt I've done my share of dirt but I'm a wiser oh oh yeah a few one night stands Some of their names I can't remember Imagine waking up with someone who You barely even knew Time and time again But there's someone for everyone I've been blessed to find that one Who makes me feel like no other you are looking good as hell But I can't go home with you Because I'm going home to her All the night
That old 
Focus on 